Hola mi gente, bienvenidos. I'm your host Lore and this is Creepy Chisme. Some stories and info are not suitable for all, especially young children. Listen at your own risk. Hola mi gente, it's your girl Lore here with another episode of Creepy Chisme. And y'all, I know I say this a lot, but damn have I got a good one for you today. But first, how y'all doing? Me, let me tell you how I'm doing. So I recorded this episode earlier this week, okay? (laughs) I am ahead of the game, y'all. I had everything ready. I'm like, okay, gonna edit this day, this day. Because it takes me like a day or two to edit, depending on how things go. And I recorded late at night because, you know, I was trying to be productive. So I'm like, let me record late at night, get this done, blah, blah, blah. And this fucking cricket (laughs) that was in my basement, like to me, I didn't hear it on the audio. Like you could very faintly hear it. And y'all know that I have recorded before and you can hear the crickets outside, right? So I'm like, that's okay. But as I'm like editing, I'm like, no, this fucking cricket. It's like he was trying to steal the show from me, literally. So I just couldn't take it anymore. And I'm like, you know, if I was listening to this podcast, I would have stopped it a long time ago because this damn cricket over here trying to do some corridos, right? Oh, so (laughs) here I am, crazy, crazy, recording this episode the day before I wanted to put it out. But I'm going to do it because, you know, it's a three-day weekend. It's a Labor Day weekend. And I'm going to spend my Labor Day weekend working on this podcast because I love y'all. And it's not like I had anything else to do. So (laughs) here we go. But seriously, I have a good episode for y'all today. Trigger warning to the max. No estoy jugando, you guys. I am not playing. It's been a long time since a case has like truly kept me up at night just thinking and wondering how anyone could possibly live like this and you'll see what I mean a little bit later. There is a lot in this case. Media definitely pointing the blame at Satanism as they always do but honestly it's so much more than just somebody's religious beliefs or religion and I'll talk more about that at the end but yeah. Just want to say, someone's appearance does not define what they are or are capable of. But anyway, I wanted to give a quick mi gente shout out to these TikTok followers who showed me so much love. Sally underscore Nightmare, who, girl, I know you are a Nightmare Before Christmas fan with that name. So am I. (laughs) I'm actually reading that new book, The Pumpkin Queen. It's all right. Definitely preteeny vibes, you know, but I will say this, no spoilers, but I will say this. If you're going to read that book, I highly recommend, especially if you're a fan, but I always disliked Sally, like super disliked her. I felt like she was dumb and you know, whatever, (laughs) not jealous at all. But anyway, um, this book, you know, it shined a little light on her and her backstory and I, I appreciate that. And I, I'm a Sally fan. I'm a Sally fan. I'd also like to give a shout out to Evelina Baez and Juanita Martinez. Thank y'all for all the likes on TikTok and all the support and the follows. I appreciate y'all. Don't forget, if you don't follow me on TikTok yet, go do so. Just search Creepy Chisme. I post a lot more stuff on there, a lot more short stories, which you guys used to love. My short Freaky Fridays. So now that's on TikTok, go follow. Let's get right into our episode with a creepy updater story I've recently heard. Now before our story today, let me just take a little sip of my cafecito. Because y'all, it's spooky season. I've got to drink my pumpkin spice cafe. You know me. (laughs) 
And also, super apologize if y'all are the type of people that hate to hear people drinking. Because I'm one of them. But... <laughs> It's early in the morning, I told you. I'm recording this. <laughs> I need my coffee. So if your girl's a little wired, sorry. All right, so the story I heard this week was, on April 3rd, 1985, authorities discovered the remains of a white female somewhere between the ages of 10 and 15. Now, the remains were found in Campbell County. I believe that's in Tennessee because, according to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, Authorities were never able to identify the remains and gave the young Jane Doe the nickname Baby Girl. But earlier this week, the University of North Texas Center for Human Identification, whoa, what a name. <laughs> I know they abbreviate it, but I, I don't know. <laughs> That's such a long name. But they were able to finally identify the remains as a missing girl Tracy Sue Walker, who went missing from Lafayette, Indiana in 1978. And this is why this story caught my attention because I love to read up on research stories that are near me and Lafayette, Indiana is not too far. Now it's been four decades almost since those remains were found in Tennessee. And now with the known identity, police want to know how Tracy got hundreds of miles from home. Yeah. Now, anyone with any information about the girl or the crime can contact 1-800-TBI-FIND. Missing person cases, cold cases, they have always terrified me. The fact that there's no trace left behind for decades in this case, it's wild. But I do hope somebody can come forward with some type of information and can help to understand what happened to Tracy. I'm not going to 100% say this, but you know I'm here for the chisme. But in my area, especially Indiana, and I know in Chicago too, but in Indiana, a lot of the area is very close to the highway. And there's actually like the Super Walmart, like what is it, the Mega Walmart? <laughs> Super Walmart? Where they have like everything inside. Yeah, so it's like the top 10 Walmarts of America. I think it's number 10, but whatever. Girls are always reported missing from that parking lot. And the reality is you pick up a girl from the parking lot and literally you turn out of the parking lot and you get on the highway. Within minutes, you can be three towns over. So yeah, it's scary. And I'm sure in a lot of other areas, you guys have places like that too. So that's what my heart is feeling for this case. You know that she was taken so young, so, so young. But hopefully we'll get some justice to figure out what happened to her. There's been some other things that have come up in the true crime world this week that I want to talk about, but we've got a long story today. And like I said, I am going to give the major trigger warning just because some crazy stuff Mm-hmm, some crazy stuff <laughs> is in this case. So just beware, y'all. Listen with caution. Listen with headphones. Don't listen at work. I don't want you to get fired. <laughs> All right, mi gente, it's time to get creepy. Today, I am going to take you into a case so mortifying, you'll never forget it. Now, I've been researching and reading up on cases for years, but this one was by far one of the craziest I've ever heard. Major trigger warning again, mi gente. Some of these details are not for the faint of heart. Now, usually before a case like this, I like to go back and look into the suspect's early life and upbringing because... I have found that those details truly do help us better understand the suspect's mental state. However, in this case, it's a reminder that sometimes nature plays the bigger role over nurture. But I'm sure both are involved in this case as well. But someone can also just be born evil, right? Now, the reason that someone such as John Alexander Lawson has no early life details, is because he was kind of just born mentally ill. And by this, I mean, in his early life, he loved inventing stories about his life. Let's be real, he's a day one mentiroso. He's a liar. 
And as he gets older, the lies intensify. So no one really knows much of his childhood because the stories he told people most likely weren't true. Now what I can tell you is that he was born on August 12th, 1978 in San Francisco, California. Now eventually he and his mom and dad make their way to Clemens, North Carolina. His mother, I believe, had some family there and um, her name was Cynthia. And Cynthia says that she knew from an early age that her son did have mental health issues. Now the few that did know him at a young age could tell you that John was a little bit off. One neighbor stated that he used to come over and play with her son. And I don't remember how young he was, maybe eight, I think she said. He would dress as a vampire. Like he was obsessed with being a vampire. And he loved scary movies like Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, all those movies. And he always wanted to watch them. But she didn't see anything wrong with it because she just said like, oh, he's a young boy who's into like weird stuff. That's normal, right? But there were some major red flags such as hurting animals, drinking and drugs very early on in his life. And also... He was a very emotional person, mostly emotional in showing anger. I read in one article that when he was in second grade, his parents argued a lot and eventually ended up divorcing. Now, John's dad moved back to California and completely goes silent. So it's just mom, Cynthia, and John. And just a few short years later, Cynthia remarries a man named John Larry James. So... With a new marriage, the family decided that they're going to move into a new home. So they move into a house located on Knob Hill Drive in Clemens, North Carolina. The new home, a new family member, and just becoming a teen kind of all took a toll on John. Now around the age of 13 is when he turned to drugs. Yeah, 13. He was doing drugs and drinking. It's thought that by this age, he would actually drink a 12 pack of beer a day. 13 years old, guys. Now, obviously, he's emotionally broken by his dad, pretty much, just abandoning him. And around this time, as is perfectly normal for teenagers to do, John started to change his appearance, his look. He was wearing a lot of darker colors, he shaved his head. So obviously we have a guy who's dying for attention, right? Now when he was told by his school that he would need to repeat the ninth grade, he wasn't having it. So he drops out, but because he's still too young, he really didn't have a plan. So he goes buck wild and he spends his days doing more drugs and drinking a shit ton more alcohol. Now at this point, he also starts selling drugs too to make a little bit of money. And of course, mom and stepdad are pissed right? Their kid's going crazy. And I'm sure a little bit scared too because, you know, his mental state is just worsening. Now again, his mom knew he had mental health issues. And eventually she does get him psychiatric help because it just becomes too much for her to handle. Now John is diagnosed with anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, and agoraphobia, which if you're like me and don't know what that is, it's pretty much the fear of places and situations that will cause someone to panic or to feel helpless or embarrassed. So pretty much he suffers from an anxiety where he has anxiety 24-7, right? Because any situation can, <laughs> can be scary. He's afraid of it all. Now, unfortunately, this is America and America doesn't believe in affordable health care and especially not in mental health care issues. So John's mom quickly suffers some financial issues and really can't afford all the treatment and medicine that her son needs, which is really sad. So it's going pretty shitty pretty quickly. I can't imagine though, like in Cynthia's position, being a parent, knowing that your child has these needs and you can't afford it. And his deadbeat dad's in California, just living his life, whole new family, yeah crazy. So yeah, John's mentally ill. He's also at the age too where mental health really starts to appear and take over. So at this time, John becomes interested in the occult and also Satanism. Now in no way am I saying that these things are evil, but like any religion 
or beliefs. If you have ill intentions to begin with, maybe this isn't such a great idea for you. Just saying. Now in 2002, things had worsened for John. He became more into drugs, drinking heavier as if he could, and his illnesses had worsened pretty badly. After the attacks of 9-11, he started telling people that he was from Iraq and was a Muslim extremist. He even wore scarves on his head and turbans Mm -hmm. (laughs) and said that his dad was a high priest in Iraq. Okay. (laughs) Now, at this point, John decided to legally change his name. He was over it. He wanted a new name, right? His new name that he chose was Pazuzu Illa Algarad. Now, y'all... Y'all know I hate anything in regards to demons and dark energy. So let's protect ourselves. Repeat after me. I do not accept any negative energy from what I'm about to hear. Hope y'all said it. (laughs) Cause we about to get dark. Now what a fucking name, right? Pazuzu. Now the first time I heard it, I was like, what the fuck? Why would he choose that, right? Like who wants to be named Pazuzu? But I knew there had to be a reason that he chose this name. And of course there is. So Pazuzu actually stands for a demonic figure known as the King of Demons. He is both dangerous and protective against other demons. Most times he's invoked in ritual as a defense charm. Often he's depicted as animal and human mostly canine-like but with scales. He has wings, talons, a scorpion-like tail, and a serpentine, serpentine? (laughs) Serpentine, serpentine, I don't know, penis. Yeah. Right hand up, left hand down, which is common in satanic symbolism. Horns on his head, human ears, and a dog-like muzzle with bulgy eyes. I have chills. And it's not cold. (laughs) No me gusta. I don't like it. He is known as the demon of southwest wind that brings famine during dry season and locusts during the rainy season. He's the protector of mothers and babies during childbirth, fighting off the evil goddess Lamashtu, who does pretty much the opposite and tries to take mother and child during birth. This is all according to mythology. Man, demonology is so fucking fascinating. I don't want to study it, but like the little bits that I have read or heard, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I love mythology of all kinds, to be honest, but yeah, hell to the no. <laughs> now, if this name sounds familiar to you, it just might be. In the movie The Exorcist, Pazuzu is the supposed spirit or demon that has taken over the young girl, Reagan. He also appears in the fictional world of the English virtual band, Gorillas. Ooh, scary. So yeah, he's a demon, but also he has nice moments, you know, because <laughs> he's trying to protect childbearing women. Ugh, you hate him, you love him, you know? Now the second name, or his middle name, is Illa, which is just the Arabic word of God. And when put together with Algarad, his name means God of Locusts. So Pazuzu, God of Locusts, which I previously mentioned Pazuzu is tied to locusts in mythology. Now, during an interview with his mother in the documentary, The Devil You Know, which I highly recommend, it's on Hulu, go watch it uh, for a lot more information. She says, quote, he wasn't by any means an angel, but he wasn't a bad person or a boogeyman or whatever phrases people have called him, end quote. Oh, the love of a mother. Oh, I'll get more into Cynthia a little bit later. I've got some words for her. Anyway, Pazuzu's behavior of never leaving the house, his frightening style, and his mental illness took a toll on his mother's marriage, amongst other things too, I'm sure. But once again, his stepdad packs up and leaves and walks out. Now, Pazuzu continued selling drugs as his only income, and most of the income went to his tattoos that he got all over his body, including his face. Most of the tattoos depicted satanic symbols, Pazuzu then decided that he no longer wanted to shower. Yeah, saying that filth would give him more power. He also dove deeper into Satanism. And actually, I read, and it might be cheese, man, but actually I read that he, like, Satanism wasn't enough 
evil for him. As we know today, Satanism is more of like a stance against religion. I don't think it's bad. It's more of like a rebellion against religion and religion telling people what to do and what they can't do. So he's into it, but he's like, but when do I get to cut something up, you know? <laughs> so he kind of like feeds off Satanism, but he kind of makes his own religion too. And so he decides that when it's a full moon night, because, you know, he has anxiety, he can't go out, he asks his mother, Cynthia, to go to the pet store and pick up a small animal, like a rabbit. And then he would go out and sacrifice the rabbit. In most of these sacrifices, he would ingest the raw heart. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing, mi gente. Why would his mother enable this? But... This is just one example that I feel like Pazuzu scared his mother into doing things, and I think she was afraid of her son. Now, Pazuzu claimed that these rituals made him feel amazing. Completely energized, nothing could compare. So even though he hardly left the house, he did have a few friends, and even girlfriends. One of his girlfriends was Amber Birch. Her nickname was Bubbles. She was in awe of Pazuzu and followed him everywhere. Now the friends he did have, they also hung out quite often at the house. But he and his friends would hang out at graveyards. They would self-harm together, uh, doing, of course, drugs, drinking, animal sacrifices, all of it. The more time went on, the worse everything got. So Pazuzu's appearance had changed even more. More tattoos. I think he had the word Satan on one forearm and something else on the... I don't even... <laughs> Go check out my Instagram. You'll see what I'm talking about. So more tattoos. Never showering. Ugh, and he still has a girlfriend. <laughs> Cochino. So he also had his teeth filed into points. According to one friend, one night while high on meth, Pazuzu decided he wanted sharp snake-like teeth, so he filed them down himself. Don't even want to know. <laughs> now, most times he'd wear a turban because he claimed he was from Iraq. That's believable, right? Because dude's white as hell, blonde hair, blue eyes. And if his father is a high priest in Iraq, then why is he poor as hell, right? I don't know. He brags about his lifestyle, his animal sacrifices, and he even claimed to be able to control the weather. Dude really thought he was Pazuzu. Now, what I haven't mentioned is that the town of Clements was super religious. And I'm talking like super Christian, right? So here's all these super Christians and they see this dirty ass tattooed guy with 666 on his body, satanic symbols. The town hated him. But Pazuzu used this to his advantage because after becoming obsessed with Charles Manson, great idol, great idol, I guess, he decided he wanted to create his own type of family. So he looks for those misfits the town judged and kind of was like, come on, come hang out with me. Your grandma doesn't like you, come hang out with me. Now, even though he was already with girlfriend Amber Birch, that didn't stop him from getting another girl, Crystal Matlock. Ay, cochinas. This dude doesn't brush his teeth. His teeth are sharp. Why? How? How can you be into that? Oh my goodness. Okay, so these two girls, they're, they're at his house all the time. And people start referring to them as his fiancés. He also refers to them as his fiancés. Now, there may possibly have been more fiancés, but that's just chisme. And I'll mention one a little bit later. Now, lots of girls were always at the house. But Amber and Crystal, they were like the main bitches, you know, like they were in charge. So let's talk about Pazuzu's house, right? Because he's got all these people coming in and out, hanging out. So the house on Knob Hill Drive became the place for these misfits to come, stick around whenever they wanted, for however long they wanted. The group of misfits completely trashed the house. And Pazuzu really didn't give a shit. Why would he? Ni se lava la cola? You think he cares about keeping the house clean? Yeah, I don't think so. I remember, um, I remember like I was there. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, remember, he believes that filth gives him this power. 
So at the home, he and his fiancés, they would have these orgy parties with whoever wanted to. Honestly, I... (sighs) Can you imagine the smell? He doesn't shower. They don't shower, probably. Oh, gosh. Like, I'm trying not to vomit. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. Orgies, self-harming, drugs, animal sacrifices. It's all going down at Club Zuzu. Now imagine if that's what they call this house. I'm going down to Club Zuzu tonight. Oh, lordy. So are you thinking what I'm thinking? Where the hell is Cynthia? Where's his mother? Well, Cynthia confined herself in her bedroom mostly, which was like a master bedroom with an ensuite bathroom. And she pretty much gave her son free reign of the house. Just leave her room alone. Yeah. Now I'm going to take a wild guess. And this is all alleged. I'm going to say that she also must have been an alcoholic and druggie. Because no sane person would be okay with this lifestyle and allowing her son to just destroy the house. But also I think maybe she felt a little sorry for her son because, you know, his dad abandoned him, the stepdad abandoned him, and then also he's mentally ill and she can't afford to help him. I don't know. It's crazy. Because I am telling y'all, this house, I don't think you understand when I say it was filthy. You know, because like everyone can have a dirty house, right? Sometimes you feel like your house is so dirty, it's like beyond the point of repair. But imagine that times 10. Like that's how filthy this house was. And I'll of course post some pictures, so go check those out on my Instagram. But literal animal and human shit all over the floor, along with trash. Because friends say that Pazuzu and other people would relieve themselves. They would just like find a corner and relieve themselves. Like it, like it was no thing. I swear they lived like animals. Pazuzu did, like he wasn't embarrassed by it. I'm trying not to throw up again. <laughs> Cause it's so fucking disgusting. <sighs> but that's not all. On the walls, he filled them with satanic symbols and writing sometimes with human blood. His of course. And on their front door, which he painted black, He also decorated it with an upside-down cross and an unwelcome sign stating who was not allowed to enter, mostly aimed at law enforcement. But even though his house was completely filthy, he always had people over. They'd get drunk and high, walk around naked. Pazuzu would tell these crazy stories of how he had murdered people and ate parts of them. No one ever believed him though because he's Pazuzu, he talks nonsense, he's crazy, right? So Pazuzu is happily living in filth with his quote-unquote family. Now I guess mom's hidden away from it all. Okay. (laughs) But that's also the second thing that I kind of feel maybe she feared her son. Yeah, maybe. Alright, so let's take a break from the craziness. Bring my stomach back down, you know, trying not to think about it. I recently listened to a podcast about Pazuzu because I had never heard of him before. And the guy on the podcast mentioned, he was like, I could literally smell through the paper what that might have smelled like. And it's not good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying not to throw up. So let's take a break. And talk about our two victims. So first we have Josh Wetzler. In 2006, oh six, <laughs> I'll do it every time. If you know, you know, sorry. <laughs> now just north of North Carolina in Virginia, Josh and his wife Stacy had just purchased this small, cute little farm to start up a business. Now it would become a horse re- rehabilitation farm where they would train animals and help animals. They both loved animals and they knew that their goal was to just take as many in as they could and help them. Josh loved animals, but he also was a people person too. He loved people. He was an outgoing and just super nice dude, very genuine. Although sometimes he would hang out with, you know, the more free-spirited type people. So pretty early on in their marriage, they discovered that they're pregnant. But in 2007, just a year later, Due to the recession, their dreams kind of came to a halt. And by kinda, I mean they did. So a lot of businesses were closing around this time, including that of Josh and Stacy. Eventually they fell behind on the mortgage payments, which caused more financial issues. Finances are a huge, huge issue in marriages. And so things got a little rocky. So so Stacy decides she's gonna venture off on her own 
and she found a job at another farm that allowed her to work and live on the property. But Josh was still struggling to find work. Somehow he manages to move into a very small trailer and he needs fast, easy money and gets involved with selling drugs. But someone tipped off the police, hater, and his trailer was raided. And of course, they found drugs in the home. So Josh was convicted after they did find the drugs and that only made things a lot harder for him to get back on his feet because once again, This is America, unfortunately, and many Americans in Josh's position, they do get convicted and come out and can't find work. So then they go right back to getting quick, easy money by selling drugs again. It's a vicious cycle, honestly. We need to do more for our convicted felons. Well, you know, the ones with minor felonies like selling drugs. We need like some more programs for them to get into, job programs, yeah. But this is exactly what happened. So even through all of this though, he still made time to see his son. And according to Stacy, they still loved each other very much and were kind of on the mend. But something odd happens. In 2009, Josh just disappears. But Stacy thought that maybe due to the fact that he was under police radar, He kind of went into hiding. So she didn't think anything of it. She didn't report it until a year later in 2010 when she starts to finally think that something happened. So she files a missing person report and finds out that in 2009, Josh's car was found by police with the keys in the ignition and the driver door open. And even more upsetting is that police didn't even do anything. They didn't contact anybody. They just let it be. Now in this case, our lovely men in blue, they do a fine job as you'll see. Yeah, (laughs) first big mistake here. He's been missing for almost a year. Yes, so good job men in blue. So three months after this in Clemens, North Carolina, Tommy Welsh was going to meet up with his brother on October 3rd. They were rather close siblings in age and just close in general. The brother was named Rusty and he was working that night, so they were going to meet later for dinner that evening. When Rusty got home around 6 p.m., his brother Tommy wasn't there, which was very odd. So he calls, he texts him, but he never answers. So right away he knows something is wrong because Tommy was never late to anything. And Tommy never showed up. And he never showed up any day after that. So we have two missing men gone without a trace in the same area. Now it's been a good few years that passed by. Now that Club Zuzu, as they call it, has been thriving. And as ca- as you can imagine, the house Cynthia Pazuzu and whoever the hell else lived there now <laughs> was just unlivable, yet they still lived in it. I just, I, how could Cynthia allow this filth, this stench? I can't, I can't. The home was so dirty and full of trash that you couldn't even see the floor. And people can't even begin to describe the smell. One friend described on the documentary I watched that when she went to his house for the first time, he opened the door and immediately the stench like knocked her back. But Pazuzu still doesn't care. He continued doing everything he's been doing, peeing everywhere, shitting everywhere, just... And to match his sharp snake-like teeth, he now had split his tongue as well. Still not showering or brushing his teeth, he also still bragged about killing homeless people and prostitutes. He still bragged that there was a dead body in his basement. Yeah. He would tell friends that he claimed that he shot a guy six times and then used the bleach and cat litter to hide the smell. But still, his friends would just laugh it off and took it as just more Pazuzu rambling. However, eventually one friend gets a little suspicious. Tarina Billings finally decided to speak up. She was over at Crystal Matlock's home, one of Pazuzu's fiancés, and he too was there. Once again, he brags about how he shot a guy with a shotgun six times and the body's still in the basement. But Tarina doesn't take it seriously, just like everybody else, until the next day when her dad went out with Crystal Matlock and returned a few hours later with the mother of Pazuzu, Cynthia. Now, Tarina says she noticed that her dad wasn't wearing a shirt 
and that he had dirt like all over his legs and shoes. So she questions him, but he doesn't say anything. And Cynthia was very flustered and she was just like, I need to get back. I need to get back to the house. So they leave the house again, but Tarina follows them driving behind them because, you know, she's like, what the hell is going on? Why is my dad hanging out with Crystal Matlock and... Cynthia. So the three get back to Pazuzu's and they walk in through the garage and Tarina's dad sees that she pulls up right in front of the driveway and he runs out and yells at her and tells her to get the hell out of here, which is even more suspicious, right? Now her dad never said what went on that night, but one of her best friends eventually spoke up stating that Pazuzu was chopping up a body. Mm Mm-hmm and then eventually burying it in the yard. Now, a few of Pazuzu's friends were present for the crime, and Tarina knew that one of them must have been her dad, and those were some of her friends, but she thought, what if this person was my brother or husband or whoever? So she goes to police and tells them what she hears. On August 3rd, 2009, Tarina goes to the police and tells them the people she knew were involved, including her dad, Pazuzu, Cynthia, and Crystal. Now this is vital information. So police go to the home of Pazuzu, they knock on the door, and they literally waste no time, no time at all, telling Pazuzu that there have been reports of a body buried in the backyard. And they ask him, is it true? Oh my god. Of course Pazuzu's gonna say no. And I mean, what were they thinking? Like, who? <laughs> Yeah, there's a body in my backyard. Go check it out. Come on. Lord Jesus. So they then ask if they could come in. And again, Pazuzu's like, no. Because they didn't have a search warrant. And that was that. That was the end of that. I am livid with these police. I'm telling you. So I'm September... (laughs) I'm still laughing. So on September 24, 2009, two months after Josh is missing, police get an anonymous call. So the caller reports that a man from Clemens named... Tazuzu shot and buried a man in his backyard. All right, this is the second report now. And don't even tell me that you confuse the name Pazuzu with Tazuzu police because they sound the same to me. All right, so like I said, this is the second report now. Police, let's get them. We got them. Nope. Police do not even attempt to go to the house after this anonymous tip. So remember Stacy, Josh Wetzel's wife? So she reported him missing in 2010, and here is why she did. So a girl by the name of Sylvia LeBeau was an acquaintance who was often hanging out at Pazuzu's house. She was heavily into drugs and partying, and Sylvia and a friend of hers were leaving late one night from a party. And on the drive, Sylvia tells the story that she heard Pazuzu say about killing a man named Josh. The friend completely freaks out, goes into shock, and says to Sylvia, you have to meet and talk to my friend Stacy. So Sylvia decided to try and record Pazuzu's story since he was very proud of his doing and loved bragging about it. So she goes to his house and she turns the recording on her phone and she's having a conversation with a few friends who are also there and one blatantly admits like, yeah, he did murder someone. Like, come on. How can you not believe it, you know? So she takes that recording to police. Now we got him, right? This is the third time somebody is talking about this and now we have video recorded evidence. Nope. (laughs) Once again, police do nothing. Now, here's what I have to say about this. Sylvia, Tarina, the anonymous tip, whoever that was, these are the misfits right? That are hanging out with Pazuzu. Remember when I said this town is super Christian, like evangelicist Christian. I think that has a major, major thing to do with why police aren't giving these people the time of day, which is absolutely wrong because as a man of the law, you're supposed to protect its citizens no matter who they are, right? And we know police are great at doing that, but they're not listening to them. They are not listening to them, but come on, this is the third time somebody is saying something. Eventually, Sylvia drives out to meet with Stacy, Josh's wife, and she tells her everything. So Stacy calls the police and tells them what she heard and knows, and police finally take it seriously. So they head over to the residence with a search warrant, 
and a cadaver dog. So they say, but police find nothing, no trace of human remains, but they only search the backyard, not the inside of the home. And there's no evidence that they actually did take cadaver dogs. So nada, nothing is found. And even though Pazuzu is under the radar, he still doesn't give a shit. He's still partying. He's got people over all the time, still bragging about his killing sprees. And he even has a third fiance named Dixie. Now, Dixie became super close to Pazuzu and Amber Bubbles, his other fiance. And one day Dixie was sitting out on Pazuzu's back porch with a friend and she she asked, or more so insinuated, like, did you ever wonder why the ground is so uneven? And she was pointing at the backyard, and Dixie then told the friend that she helped rebury a body one night. So the friend claimed that Dixie seemed a little afraid, but also they kind of felt like she was in a position that she couldn't get out of. So Dixie also contacted and kept in touch with an ex-high school boyfriend who was on his way home from deployment. She told him she was now Pazuzu's quote-unquote family, and he found that very strange. So worried for her, he buys her a flight to come visit him, and Dixie spills the beans. She tells him everything. So Dixie's story is that she went to Pazuzu's one night, and Amber answered the door. And she tells Dixie that they killed somebody by shooting him in the head. And if she wouldn't help them bury him, that they were going to bury her too. Now Dixie says that she helped Amber drag a guy to the backyard and rolled him into a shallow grave that they dug. But the grave wasn't deep enough and the man's knee was popping out of the dirt. So the geniuses that they were decided to just throw a blue tarp over it and then pile a bunch of dirt on top of that. Oh, and take a picture of it. What the fuck? Like, this stuff is so wild that I find myself dissociating because it's unreal. If you've made it this far, mi gente, gracias, seriously. So this friend that Dixie was talking to was named Matt, and he writes an anonymous report to police. Three months later, in 2010, they searched the home. Nothing found again. I kind of feel like maybe police were afraid of Pazuzu too. Uh, just a thought. So police are still visiting the home, and other than filth, nothing comes up, and Pazuzu still doesn't lay low. And actually, in May of 2010, Pazuzu assaults his mother, Cynthia. She did press charges, but later dropped the charges. See, and this leads me to believe that she was afraid of her son, because in most cases of abuse, you know, the abuser presses charges, but then they drop them, and it's like a cycle, you know? Now, on June 7th, 2010, a young guy by the name of Joseph Chandler was found dead near the Atkin River. He was shot in the back of the head, and on October 2010, Pazuzu and an acquaintance, Nicholas Rizzi, are arrested for the shooting of Joseph Chandler, who, by the way, was legally blind. Yeah, Joseph was on his way to a store when he met Nicholas and Pazuzu, and they offered him a ride. So they took him out to the Atkin River, where Nicholas would take Joseph's life. Now, the two guys claimed it was an accident, and Nicholas was given a 13-month manslaughter charge. 13 months. Yes, I said 13 months. And Pazuzu received five years probation. <laughs> I cannot... Joseph's mother says this wasn't an accident and thinks that the devil worshiper chose her son to sacrifice that night. 13 months is nothing. Absolutely disgusting. And I do also want to mention that Joseph Chandler was a black American. Just saying. Later in 2011, Amber, one of the fiancés, was charged with assault when she attacked Cynthia, Pazuzu's mom. But she was never convicted for that too because Cynthia dropped the charges. So now his fiance is abusing his mother too. So that kind of tells us a little bit about home life. In October 2014, at another crazy house party at Club Zuzu, Pazuzu approaches Matt, remember? Dixie's ex-boyfriend who called in the anonymous tip. Don't ask me why he's even there, right? I guess maybe because nothing was ever found by the police and time had passed, he's like, all right, it's okay if I go to this party. You wouldn't catch me there at all to begin with but like if i heard a rumor that somebody murdered someone i wouldn't be hanging out at their house you know these people i tell you but anyway 
Pazuzu goes up to Matt and he's like, dude, I need you to help me kill someone tonight. And Matt is like, hell no, hell to the no. So Matt claims that he denied the offer and then he even states that he helped by warning the intended target to leave the party. So the next day, Matt is like, this shit's wild, I'm going to the police. So he goes. And this also just shows us like how much Pazuzu doesn't care because he's on probation and he's like, uh, who can I kill next, right? He's feeling invincible. So this time police listen and act on it. And maybe because Matt is a veteran, I don't know, but it worked, okay? So once again, police head to the hell house and conduct a search. But this time is a little bit different. October 5th, 2014, police conduct their search. The home at 2749 Knob Hill Drive was vacated and searched. Upon entering the home, they were literally slapped in the face by the worst stench imaginable. The walls were filled with symbols, writing and pictures. I mean, the walls, the ceilings were completely covered. Satanic symbols all over the home. The home was infested with dead and live bugs, but mostly flies, and the floors completely covered in dry feces, animal and human. 15 cats, 7 dogs, a few snakes that were kept around for animal sacrifice, just living amongst the filth. In some areas of the home, there was so much stuff, like I said, that you couldn't even see a floor. There was also mold growing on the walls in some parts, or the ceilings, on the floors. The basement, just as bad. The basement was horrific. However, police did notice that there was a section of the basement that was clean and covered in bleach and cat litter, giving a possible truth to the story of the body that he kept in the basement. Now, this time when officers stepped into the backyard, they noticed the ground was really uneven. So they started to dig and it didn't take long because lo and behold, they find human remains. Fucking finally, dude. (laughs) It only took police five years. God damn it. Now they found the remains of two men. However, it would be hard for forensics to possibly ID the remains due to their condition in the ground. Eventually though, Go forensics. (laughs) They do confirm that the remains belong to Josh Wetzler and Tommy Welsh. Both were found in very shallow graves, but why them, right? Why them and how? What we do know is that Josh was held captive in Pazuzu's basement. How he got there? I don't know. One person claimed that Pazuzu showed her a video of a recording of Amber abusing a man in the basement. And also, by the way his car was abandoned, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that he didn't go willingly. Pazuzu eventually shot Josh and wore his bloody bandana for days as a trophy. Now, Tommy was picked up at a gas station by Amber Birch three months after Josh was murdered, and he was going to have a few drinks at the house. But while sitting on the couch, he was shot in the head from behind by Amber. Pazuzu and Amber were both charged with one count of murder as well as one count of accessory after the fact to murder. Cynthia was on the property and she even admitted to seeing Pazuzu standing over Tommy's body, never called police or reported the murders. However, she somehow managed to get off scot-free. This bitch. But let's take it, let's take it back. Take it back now, y'all. We don't know what was said between police and Cynthia. And she may have been a victim of abuse, right? That's the only thing I can think of that makes any sense as to why they didn't charge her with anything. But yeah, Cynthia, she was set free. She skipped town and nobody has ever heard from her again. But even crazier, Pazuzu also managed to get away with it. What? I know, mi gente. Let me explain. So on October 28th, 2015, Pazuzu Illa Algarad was found dead in his cell with multiple wounds on his body. No details have ever been released as to how he died. And this is a conspiracy theory in this town. There's so many theories of how he died or was murdered. I'm going to assume since he had many, many wounds on him, that was the only thing they said, 
he either one bit in through his body with his sharp ass teeth or found some type of weapon to hurt himself. It's the only thing I can think of. Now, Amber received 39 years and is set for release in 2045. The other fiance, Crystal Matlock, also pled guilty to conspiracy to commit accessory after the fact and got 34 years. Oh, and the nasty-ass house, you ask? They had to tear that shit down because the home was completely destroyed and couldn't be saved. And I can't believe you could easily get rid of the smell that must have been coming out of that home. <laughs> I mean, it was so bad that like they said they would uh, take those little dryer sheets and like hang them in the window in the hopes it would bring in fresh air. Just clean your fucking house, like clean the house. Now I do wanna say again, that the media was more concerned about Pazuzu's appearance and beliefs more than anything. Ooh, the devil worshiper, the metalhead, the weirdo. But appearance and religion, they do not make you evil. It's the person and how that person decides to do with what they learn. Just like Christians, Satanists get painted as awful. But it's only religion. People's actions make people evil, period. Not every Satanist is evil or a murderer. Not every Christian is a judgmental preaching hater. Y'all believe in what you want. Don't preach your religion to anyone. Not everyone wants to hear it. I know I don't. Now I've been told by friends, my own blood family, that I'm not a good person because of my beliefs and because they're different than theirs. And that's really sad because I am a good person and I know right from wrong. So let's just all love each other, right? Well, unless you're an evil human like Pazuzu, then psh, fuck you. <laughs> all I'm saying is appearance isn't everything. Now Pazuzu was mentally ill. He wasn't helped. Sadly, his mother and friends didn't help either. Three innocent men lost their lives because of this. And that's the saddest part. Pazuzu bragged about these crimes and lots more. It is possible he may have had more victims, but unless someone speaks up, we will never know. You guys, this was wild, insane. A true crime roller coaster. <laughs> if you liked this episode, don't forget to rate and subscribe and turn on notifications so you'll be notified every other week when I post a new episode. Send me your ideas, your stories, and feedback at creepycheesmith4u. That's the number 4-Y-O-U at gmail.com. Or find me on Facebook, Instagram, and message me there. I always post in regards to the latest episode topic too, so go check out those pictures. You Definitely want to see how this guy looks. And go comment your thoughts. What are you thinking, mi gente? Because my mind is jumbled. And now you know why I couldn't sleep this week. And while you're there, don't forget to give me a like. And hey, if you really love me, share this episode with a friend or a family member who loves true crime. Stay tuned for more creepy chisme and a lot more spooky season fun. I have some collabs planned this fall. That's gonna be fun. So I'm excited about that. All right, mi gente, have a great week. But don't go changing your name to a demon lord and trash your house. Gracias por escuchar y nos vemos pronto. Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening and don't forget... Stay creepy and spread the cheese, man. Adios, mi gente.